at the clock, turns the corner for the win. That's right, Kawhi Leonard shooting one of the all-great shots in not only Toronto Raptors history, but Toronto sports history and perhaps NBA history. The first NBA playoff Game 7 buzzer beater. As we put out the Bucks, 92-90, to Kawhi with an impossible shot, guarded by Embiid, guarded by Simmons. And still, it bounces four times off the rim and it finally sinks in. I mean, I don't know if th- th- there was no way you could have described that moment. But when it was early on, the Bucks, the Philly were having great stretches. We were looking down and I could see a road win for the 76ers. I mean... Okay, there wasn't much in it, and the biggest lead for the Sixers was 5. Meanwhile, it was 17 for the Raptors, but they were having good stretches. They were silencing the crowd, and they could have been in it. And then, eventually, of course, it came down to, you know, just a moment of greatness. Now, Kawhi, as well as he played, as well as Kawhi played, and this may be a controversial opinion, but he didn't actually shoot that well, if you look at the stats. Yes, I know when you look at the box score, Kawhi Leonard has 41 points. But, and hear me out on this, look at the amount of shots it took him. It was a Kobe-esque performance if you'd ever seen one. Am I right? He took, and I'm just clarifying this here, but Kawhi Leonard ended up taking... 39 shots to get those 41 points. You know, that reminds you. And he was, of course, the highest scorer on the team. Siakam, he didn't get his offensive game going. Defense, fantastic. Right? He got ele- he got a double-double. He got 11-11. A uh, couple of steals in there as well. And he contributed what he could on the defensive end. Danny Green, as we're going to talk about later, was hiding. He scored two points the whole game. And for a three-point specialist... You can't have that. He only took three. He only took one three-point attempt in the whole game, which is astounding because that's what that's what he's meant to bring. That's his role in the team. In fact, the three-point specialist was Serge Ibaka, and you know, except for Green and Siakam, the rest of the team was just fantastic. Ibaka three absolutely clutch threes. One impossible three over Embiid. He got seventeen points, and of course Lowry. Right, and when you look at Lowry's box score, ten six and six. You know, you won't... People will look at his shooting and be like, oh yeah, he went 4 for 13. Another trash playoff Lowry performance. But he was phenomenal this game. He turned this game. And we talk about the Kawhi last minute shot. But without Lowry, we would not have won that. He took four offensive rebounds at crucial moments. Took charges from the likes of Simmons again at crucial moments. And overall, I think this has to be one of his best playoff performances. And it really shows why... He is so much more than his box score. We need Kyle Lowry. I think even though he was getting clowned on for scoring seven points in game three. But overall, he ended up outscoring Ben Simmons in that series, right? 
uh, you know, the great project Ben Simmons. And I do like Simmons, but Lowry outscored him, Lowry outplayed him, and Lowry dominated a matchup that people were saying he would get clowned on. And of course, Gasol, another one. He's a playoff man. He, right, 7-11 with three blocks, looks decent, but his defense was fantastic on Embiid. And I know Embiid had a little bit of success this game. He dropped 21, or, but he did it off 6 for 18 shooting, and that was mainly down to Gasol, really. And you think about a 34-year-old Gasol playing almost 46 minutes, right? He played the most minutes on the court, especially when he needed... Because the primary reason for this, of course, was you need to play a big lineup against one of the biggest teams in the league. So you have to play Ibaka and Gasol together, and suddenly you don't have really a backup center. So he was fantastic. And phew, there's not much more to say about that game because it was just brilliantly exemplified by that last shot. But however, let's let's take a listen to Kawhi. Let's take a listen to one of his post-match interview questions. You're not going home. You're leading this team to the Eastern Conference Finals. But if you think about your journey, last season, you only played nine games. You joined a new team with a new head coach in a new country. Did you have any doubts? And that's some microcosm of, you know, the emotion that Kawhi showed. And if you saw the way he was, I don't think you've ever seen Kawhi like that. We've talked before about, you know, how he's, you know, after every play, screaming and one now. And he seems to be really enjoying his basketball. But the emotion he showed in the last game, and I think that moment, that moment when it rolled in, was the moment he decided he will stay. And I think that will tip the balance. As long as it, it's a, even if we lose against the Bucks. As long as, you know, we take him to six, take him to seven, I think Kawhi Leonard will stay. Because that was not only the biggest shot in the biggest game in Raptors history, you know, and one symbolically that came 18 years after Vince Carter missed his, you know, Vince Carter, another stalwart of Raptors history, a controversial figure, of course, but another great who's turned out in a Raptors jersey. That shot, the greatest since Jordan's The Shot. And, you know, something that's rung round the league. Let's take a little listen to Nick Nurse. Uh, looks like it's going in. Looks like it was going in the whole time to me. I thought it was. Um, but uh, j just, again, I thought it was, obviously, it's a nice lucky bounce, right? But I thought we were very unlucky for a lot of that game. So it came back to us a little bit. Balanced out. <clears throat> Kyle didn't have Kyle didn't seem to have the greatest scoring nights, but his contribution would have been as good as he's had all year. Maybe the way he played all night. Yeah, I really was impressed with his defense, Doug. I thought he was he was being so alert and aggressive on his switch outs. Right, you just every time you you saw an opening coming, there he was taking it away, and then obviously had that huge steal. And I think we had back-to-back -back shot clock violations, and that was getting ready to be a third one, and he got to it just in the nick of time. So he was, again, he was played a lot of minutes. Uh, I think he played the whole second half, and uh, he was he was great down the stretch defensively. So now the reward for the shot, and one of the greatest wins in Toronto history, and I'm going to repeat that because it deserves to be repeated, 
is a matchup against the box, and to preview that, or preview that, rather, we're going to go to our regular temporary co-host. You all know who he is, but let's get right into that. It's been a while. He's been flying all over the West Western Conference. Viral, welcome back. How's your trip? Yeah, I had a wonderful holiday, honestly. It was beautiful sunshine. Didn't really get to see it from the plane, but um, it was a lot of fun reporting, actually, though. Well, as I understand, you were reporting from the plane. You were taking specific flight paths over the Oracle, the Moda Center, over Denver, and trying to report from the plane. How successful was that? Um, One thing that I can say, when I was in Denver, um, the plane was actually at the altitude of the stadium because you can't actually go any higher than Denver Stadium. It's physically not possible. The altitude of Denver, I think, is about, um, well, they call it a mile-hard city, but don't believe that is fake news. It's about 10 to 15 miles high. The plane can't go any higher than the stadium. So, so you, must, you had a perfect a view. very nice view. Yeah, it was pretty much a perfect view of what was going on. So... Great. Um, so um, you had a perfect view of, uh, we'll, we'll discuss it later, but you did have a perfect view of the Blazers taking a famous victory in Colorado. I did. I did. Brilliant. Um, well, before that, we need to talk about the main conference final, which is the Raptors against the Bucks. First question I'm going to ask is, is Giannis too much for Kawhi, despite Kawhi's transcendental form? And I thought I was going to come here and try to get you off the Kawhi hype train, but h- how are you trying to get me off the hype train? Kamel, this man is the best player in the league at the moment. Can you can you debate that? Are you really going to tell me Yanis, as good as Yanis has been this season, being very good in the playoffs, he's had a couple of off games. Why has Kawhi had an off game this off season? Well, as much as good, and we discussed it, I discussed it in the last part. As much as he hit that game winner and he's come in clutch. He did score, I believe it was 41 points of 40 shots. So it was a kind of a Kobe-esque performance there, which I wasn't a huge fan of. And if he hadn't hit that game winner, I don't think we'd be putting him in that same light. That's true. But it's anyway, um, so yeah. what do you see What do you see the matchup? Because this is the first actual superstar matchup, I think. I mean... In the past, you you know, you talk about, oh, Harden v. KD, but they're not facing each other, you know. And in the last round, of course, we had Butler against, or Butler and Simmons against Kawhi. This time, we actually, actually have a great wing who plays in the same position, Giannis, against Kawhi. That's a really good point. What's, what's, the, what's the matchup going to be like? Well, you did just say that, that. Yeah, of course, they are in the same position, but are they really going to match up on each other? I see Kawhi potentially guarding Yanis, for sure. But I'm not as positive that Yanis will be on um, Kawhi. I don't know. What do you think? Because um, Who else on the Bucks team could put up a fight and defend Kawhi? Well, um, this is what we were talking about. Um, when you have a superstar player, who, which the rest of the team messes around. This is actually a point you made. I think Kawhi's going to get his. We saw that with the Philly game. Ben did a better job than Jimmy Butler in guarding him, but Kawhi's going to get his. Like When he takes those 
Jordan-esque mid-ranges. That's the most you can do is put a hand up and you just have to hope it doesn't go in. You did talk about the fact that it can be inefficient at times, but sometimes you just got to let Kawhi have his. I think that might be the strategy that they go with. So, although Yanis is by far the most mobile forward, um, well, who? yeah, that's actually a good question. Who else can they put on Kawhi? It'll be a weird one, won't it? I mean, Chris Middleton? I mean, does he have the length to yeah. disrupt Kawhi, well, maybe? He um, has the length, but he, does he have the lateral quickness? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of their bigs have them either. Um, yeah, exactly. I think that's a big issue. So maybe, yeah, maybe it is. Well, we talked about it last time, I think, and there's two, obviously two ways to defend a superstar is let the superstar score or hope his supporting cast don't. And I think on the back of the Philly series, I think the Bucks would be better off going with the second one because yeah, none of the Raptors could hit an open three in, I think, five of those seven games. Even in the last game, you were looking players like, I mean, Lowry did pretty well, but players like Lowry, players like Green, Danny Green scored one point in that whole game. He was one of his one of his worst performances in the his, Raptors jersey. And it was, was only Serge Ibaka that hit the three. He was doing his best, uh, best J.L. Smith impression that I think. The inconsistent shooting guard. Because it's weird. Because he was been he was pretty stellar against the Magic, and he was obviously very good in the regular season. Then yeah, suddenly he's he just is, lost. He looks lost. He's Mr. Consistent usually, isn't he? He's usually Mr. Consistent. Exactly. Usually fantastic. Um, but with regards to stopping Giannis, on the other hand, here's some here's some pretty good stats for you throughout the regular season. So obviously the Raptors played the Bucks three times. And uh, they tried out four different defenders on Giannis. So here's a question. Before I read the results, out of these four players, Siakam, Leonard, Ibaka, and OG Ananobi, who might be coming back, who do you think is the, has been the most successful at defending Mr. Antica de Pumo? I would have just off the bat, without you saying anything, I would have said Siakam. Purely he matches up very well with his name. Um, He's very agile for his size, uh, Siakam. And yeah. he does an amazing job in and around the rim as opposed to if you take him further out, which you don't really need with Yanis. Um, all he has been shooting the three. So is it Siakam? Yeah, well, yeah, it is Siakam. He actually, and he, it was the reason he matched up with him the most. So they faced each other while well, he defended him on 93 separate possessions and he only mm. conceded 41 points. Although, you know, wow. he did shoot 15 for 27, uh, Giannis. But, you know, if you're looking for Siak, uh, for Giannis' stopper, then I don't think you need to look past Siakam. And I think that will give Leonard a little bit more rest. Leonard was defending Butler last game, and he really held Butler to 16 points in 41 minutes. He was extremely yeah. good, but you could see that contributed to some fatigue on the offensive end. So I think maybe putting Siakam on him and, um, you know, putting Leonard on one of one of the shooters. Middleton, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, something like that. But I think um, OG Ananumi would be a good... He'd be great coming back. I think um, if we look at the stats as well, he defended him 24 times. He gave up 13 points, uh, caused a turnover as well. So wow. he'll be he'll be missed. Of course, he's had appendicitis, so I, there's still an unknown timeline. I think I guess that's one of those big factors that um, potentially... Of course, this is talked about, but... Toronto really is deep when it comes to like defensive stoppers. I don't know about the team offense. I'm 
probably not as well versed to talk about that in terms of are their rotations good, but man to man, like you just name those three, and then obviously Danny Green and Carl Lowry is a very good defender for a point guard as well. Potentially, that is maybe the difference between them winning a championship and not is whether that offensive actually kicks into gear. That's true, and um, I think on the defensive end you were mentioning, I think that the perception of that was skewed a little bit just by the Philly series. Philly, of course, are a you know a huge team and. The likes of Powell, Van Vliet, um, off the bench, they they were very ineffective just because of their size. It's not because how they are as defenders, and I think that skewed the Raptors kind of Rep- Raptors reputation as a very deep defensive team a little bit, which hopefully should be fixed. Well, I suppose the Bucks are long to an extent, but I think Philly probably the biggest team in the East, if I'm right. Yeah, yeah, and we would talk about it during the Brooklyn series how much of an advantage he had over Brooklyn. Yes, yeah, so that's it. So, um, you think of anything, any other interesting matchups? Because when you look at the Bucks, you do say, okay, Bucks have got Giannis, but of course they've got a number of huge players. We'll, uh, we've discussed Middleton before. Who else mm. are you looking at on that Bucks roster that might make an impact? Well, um, of course you have Brogdon. Um, I think potentially this series could actually. I think of, of course you can argued that he is rather rated with people who do know basketball, but he doesn't really get a lot of press shine. This could be the match that really he could he could show himself to be honestly on at the same level as Zari if if not higher. Like we'll have to see. But um of course he was coming back from injury going into the playoffs. But um I think he'll be definitely the one to watch. Yeah, that's fair. And um Personally, I can't think of anyone else. I don't think the Bucks are that deep. And I think I think the way they played and the teams they've played in terms of the Celtics and the Pistons has skewed, again, the perception. I think, I don't want to call them overrated, but I think oh, a lot of people are saying that the Bucks are favourites for this series. And I'm just completely confused. People are saying, oh, could the Raptors with Kawhi maybe give the Bucks a run for their money? When they should be asking, you know, yeah. can the Bucks actually keep up with Kawhi and Co? Because, I mean, according to 538, we're 55% to win this series. Probably accurate. Probably maybe bump that up to 60%. But, yeah, um, because uh, um, what, what do you think of Eric Bledsoe? Eric Bledsoe would be the guy I'm probably a little bit, a little bit scared of, a little bit underrated, like Brogdon. Uh, he's extremely yeah. good on the defensive end. However, we haven't really been Raptors in terms of Kyle Lowry haven't really been delivering on the offensive end, so I'm not sure if that'll be a huge advantage. Yeah, with Bledsoe, um, the big thing really is to stop his inside drives. He's really, really good finisher and slasher, um, extremely quick. I think outside shooting, um, of course, he's going to get open looks. We've really any team that comes against the Bucks, we've said it time and again, is that are the outside shots going to fall? And in the game against the Celtics, which they lost, which after that you get Paul Pierce talking about the fact that the series is going to be over, and he was spot on again, perfectly accurate, um, <laughs> perfectly accurate uh, guess again there by Paul. But um, there was, it was all doom and gloom, but really it was the Bucks missing quite a few open threes. And they, they fixed that in the preceding games. Uh, so, I think there, that's 
what there is to analyse, really. Are they going to hit their open shots? Because they will get open shots. And if Siakam does get the ball out of Yanis's hands, as we were talking about, it's really down to his teammates, Yanis's teammates, to knock those down. Exactly. So, um, guess to wrap it off, uh, to cap this little section, what's your prediction in how many games? Uh, so, they have a home court advantage, don't they? But yeah, they do. First seed, yeah. So, uh, I'm going to have to go with 4-3 to the box. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with uh, Raptors in six. And that's a realist. Yeah. That's, a, that's a pessimistic prediction. Well, okay. Fair enough. Um, let's take a little ad break and then we're going to cover the less important conference. <laughs> so one of the biggest upsets in Western Conference history could happen within the month if the Blazers manage to take on the Golden State Warriors. Now, of course, in Turkey, your home nation, they won't actually be <laughs> able to watch this, Varal. Because of, really? because of Hero and his candy. Yes, Turkish TV oh. is refusing to show this oh. series because of Enes Kanter. Oh. oh, we are... Well, uh, no, I'm not going to bring politics into this. This is a basketball podcast. Why, why have you done this? I mean, the NBA probably isn't going to lose much sleep, though, are they? Turkey probably isn't like their main viewership, but... I know it's just it's just, just a shame. Bad. It's just a shame. Kanter, yeah. of course, has proven a hero in Joseph Nurkic's absence, and yeah. he's just been excellent on both ends of the field. He's had a tough time against Jokic, and of course, Game Seven, he was actually uh, he was actually fasting, and he managed to mm. hold down Jokic, and of course, produce on the offensive end. So impressive from uh, from uh, the Turk himself. And he did talk about how during fasting, which a, a, a number of top Muslim athletes have also mentioned, is the fact that although there is that physical strain and it is no school, it seems to unclutter their mind and really sharpen their focus. And um, I think uh, you probably know more about this than me, but when it comes down to fasting and uh, top-level performance, um, we don't actually see that much of a drop-off, do you? Potentially, you may even... No, for sure. I mean, um, like, uh, so for any Muslim listeners or, uh, you know, someone like myself, my my performance in, in the weight room or on the track doesn't drop off really at all during the fasting hours. Um, you know, for example, today I went down to the park and I just, I just dunked on a, dunked on a six foot seven guy, just never done that before. So I'm, I'm very happy with, uh, with how, with how the month is going. Um, Cantor, of course, was texting Hakeem who was another famous Muslim NBA player who fasted during playoffs. Uh, he was texting him for tips, and, uh, how to, and he said he wants to be the next Hakeem for this younger generation of basketball players. Um, so Hopefully he'll give them some tips. Well, I hope for. Yeah, well, yeah. So wholesomeness aside, of course, we've got a great matchup. 538 say the Warriors are 91% chance of winning this series. But that's ridiculous. Do you think that's too high? Absolutely. We KD's missing. I know he's not been he's not going to be missing the whole series, but he's missing from the first two games. If Blazers take one of those two games at home, it's all open. How, how could you tell me that it's a ninety percent chance of winning? It's 
of course, Nurkic isn't going to come back like KD is going to come back, but it's the constant disrespect on Dame Dollar's name. If he doesn't drop a distract, I'm going to drop it for him, all right? So I've had enough. Yeah, he he hasn't choked this playoffs, has he? So no, he's well. Uh, maybe in the last game, it was interesting in game seven actually against the Nuggets. His shot just was not coming off, but he actually ended up with he almost got a triple double. He ended up with thirteen, ten, and eight, and he allowed Evan Turner and C.J. McCollum, of course, who balled out in that game, to be the main ball handlers. So he was very he played a real captain's role there, real leader's role in saying, you know what, my shot's not coming off today. I'm just gonna let the other guys let the other guys ball out, feed the hot hand, as they say. Yeah, and if, again, if you did see it, he actually the points that he did get were from drives. Really, um, I don't know if he, if he hit any three point shots. Um, so it's ha- comparable to the performance you talked about with Kyle um, Lowry when he had his zero point performance. Like you said, he did everything else but score. Um, but even still, I think. Lidded ended up with a respectable 16 points, did he? Uh, Which, was 13, but he also got 10 rebounds and 8 yeah. assists. So, yeah. happy days. Yeah, happy Bonnie. Uh, so, him and... it's So, with Durant out, essentially it's a battle of... Well, we'll go on the secondary battle of the role players, but it's going to be a battle of the backcourts, of course. Lillard and McCollum against Curry and yep. Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. I think Cantor and... Uh, is Boogie... Will Boogie be back or is Boogie fully out for this? No, no. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, they have an advantage at centre, but I think main battle of the backcourts is going to be the main thing. Last time, of course, when the Warriors swept the Blazers a couple of years ago, it was a clear win for the Splash Brothers. But how are they? how is it going to change this time around? What do you see different? How have Lillard and McCollum developed in order to counter, you know, elite backcourts such as the Warriors? The one big fear that I have for Portland is um, really how much when the Warriors are offensively driving ball, they're one of the best teams in the league when it comes to targeting a weak defensive link uh, through the pick and roll. And dare I say it, um, this has been mentioned in the media, but um, in terms of the ball movement and um, general team play since Durant's been injured, it's actually, you know, um, it's really exacerbated and it is due to Kevin Durant's dominance when it comes to his isolation plays. But once you started cutting out those isolation plays since he's been injured, it seems like they've had no open shots, no open looks. And what I do fear is, yeah, them targeting Lillard through the pick and roll and just basically shooting the three at will. Um, so yeah it, de- it really depends on if Lillard doesn't have to burden a massive offensive load which he probably has to and because of that they're going to pick him pick on him defensively well they could hide Lillard I mean they've got quality defenders otherwise they've got enough bodies to throw at the pick and roll so they could maybe hide Lillard on a on a on a perimeter shooter so once you do that um, say if you uh, send a double to the uh, the the ball handler. A if if Steph is in that position, he's excellent at splitting um, those you know double teams when it when it comes to pick and roll. And um, even if he doesn't split it, uh, 
again, Steph's very good at passing out the pick and roll. The roll man's going to be open. But that roll man, but that roll man is going to be Egadala or Draymond Green, and what where the Rockets had defensive success is where they did double up and they let Draymond and Igadola take the shot. And, you know, they're, what, 35% shooters, 33% shooters, something like that. I think Portland can live with that, especially when Durant's out. Um, You know, they'll have to go to one of their weaker three-point shooters because they just don't have, they don't have that three-point depth anymore without Durant. That's a really good point. I think, and the only person in the role position who'd probably be capable of going up and dunking a lob, um, well, at least on a consistent basis, is Jordan Bell. And I'm not really sure how many minutes Jordan Bell's going to get either. So. Well, Iguodala's actually been excellent on that pick and roll, just to uh, just to clarify. He's been, some, some of his cuts, even on the non-pick and roll plays, some of his cuts and uh, his ability in the paint has really been, has really been something to watch, actually. And he's come into his own this this finals, oh, sorry, this playoffs, um, bringing yeah, up some of that 2015 form. Mm, I, I must have missed him um, from my seat in the plane. I think he's, he's probably the little. Uh, he's that little blob. He's that little blob who hangs yeah, around yeah, in the yeah. hoop. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, um, he's been he's been good to see. Uh, in the terms of secondary players, uh, you've got the you've got Curry's brother, of course, and uh, of course the Curry parents don't have a dilemma anymore of which. Which of the two games to go to? They can see both their kids <laughs> in one. Seth Curry, is he going to make an impact or is it up to the likes of Mo Harkless, Zach Collins to deliver on that front? Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know. Uh, Seth, Seth talks about how Seth is the best defender than him, but he's still undersized. He's very good when it comes to disrupting the ball, but again, he doesn't really do much for when he can test the shot. Um, so, like, one way of looking at it is he's just kind of, he kind, he's kind of just very similar to Lillard, but probably an equal shooter and just worse at everything else. Yeah, I mean, he um, hasn't been great. I mean, he's um, this playoff run. It's actually his first one since he got transferred. For, well, you know, he's been on the unsuccessful Mavs his, his whole career. He's only averaged 5.4 points on a less than 40% shooting. So he hasn't, been, he hasn't been great. One guy who will deliver, however, is probably one of the most underrated pickups in midseason, who I think we discussed could, could make the difference, and that's Rodney Hood. Yeah, he's injured, isn't he? Um, well, they're hopeful he can play in seven. game one. He did limp off really? the court, but he wants to play in game one. He actually said that they no checked my way. knee and everything was stable. That's a major relief. And hopefully it's feeling better by Tuesday. Did he did he see how he went down and what kind of Yeah, I mean he crashed hyperextension, yeah. Oh wow. And that was uh that was of course after he shot fifty nine percent against the Nuggets. Oh he he was unbelievable. Which is crazy. He was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it and just I was looking at him through the eyes of LeBron and as if that was the Cavaliers offense and I was just thinking to myself, potentially like the sort of pressure that a prima donna like LeBron puts on his supporting cast. Like, you think when, I don't know, maybe when he's playing alongside Lillard, although he's a team leader, he's not, he's not demanding to that same extent. I think 
because really nothing's really changed in terms of his role in the offense from the season days. He just had an increase or a larger role in the offense. It seems to be knocking down his shots really. So yeah, it's, the transformation has been phenomenal, and he with his length, um, I think matching up onto Thompson, he could. Um, he's a really big factor. I thought he was out and. Given that he's out, maybe the 90% odds would have seemed more fair, but I don't know. Maybe that changes things. Yeah, well, what one thing he also does exemplify, as we said, is the Blazers' depth. In fact, um, while on the Warriors, Steve Kerr's you know, only used six players, right? Only six players have played more than 14 minutes a game this mm. playoff run. Um, eight Portland players are averaging 18 minutes, and you know that includes the likes of Evan Turner, who's, who was excellent in Game 7. Uh, you got, you know, Zach Collins. Uh, Rodney Hood, who we've talked about. Seth Curry. And um, overall, that team can last a seven-game series, as we know. You know, they put away mm. the OKC in five, but they were looking quite fresh, even in Game 7. I think while the likes of Jokic and the uh, Nuggets were looking were looking a bit fatigued coming to the end of it, despite their, their depth. I mean, the fact that the Blazers are kind of sharing the minutes around, they trust. They're trusting everyone. Everyone's bringing a different skill set. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's something, there's something a bit. They've got a bit of an edge, this Blazers side. And uh, as we, yeah, that that ninety percent, ninety, sorry, ninety-one percent winning chance for Golden State is is uh, is is too high, much too high. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and I've had some tremendous luck and misfortune when it comes to betting. I would recommend betting on the Blazers if that's the line. Um, this, I'll just keep it short and sweet. When Tottenham were 2-0 down at half-time against Ajax... We're I, not talking about Tottenham, I'm sorry. Um, this is No? It, no. Is that, is that, let's do a temporary uh, embargo on the Tottenham ban. Okay, um, okay. Just seconds, because really, you'll get satisfaction from the story. Um, as you already do know it, but uh, I see a friend of mine who actually put a bet on all four English teams reaching the finals of the European competitions, and that probably would have netted me around, well, at least £700, and um, this dear friend of mine who, well, I call him dear friend, I don't know whether he's friend or foe at this point, um, he decided that he thought I was joking. Um, so I'm 700 pounds worse off. However, I tell the story to caution you. You will live with regrets if you don't bet on this uh, this Golden State Portland series. So, just like to say, I'm probably going to make a bet now. Actually, but uh, when the fun stops, stop. Yes, yes, and gambleaware.co.uk. Nothing gambling probably isn't the best thing to talk about, but. Is what it is. Well, let's move off that and let's get straight to the final little bit of this. I'm saying Blazers in seven, and I'm sticking by that. Sorry, could you, could you say it again, Coon? Blazers in seven. Blazers in seven. Oh, wow. Um, this is the same Warriors that went 73 and nine minus Harrison Barnes. Um, plus Kevin Durant. Plus Kevin Durant, but obviously, oh yeah, of course he comes. He's coming back off the game too. So um, I don't really see the Blazers having a shot. 
shot, but I do think they'll take two games. Um, so four two uh, to the Warriors. Yeah, that's probably much more realistic, and I think the Blazers will be happy, very very happy with that. And of course, uh, if the Blazers fans will be hoping that they probably don't face the Raptors as uh, they won't have NS Cancer, of course, uh, for the Toronto games. On a little interesting side note. Why is that? Well, he's he won't travel out of the country for fear of uh, being extradited. Oh, I thought it was fear of travelling to Turkey. Okay, wow. No, no, he won't. He won't. He didn't play the regular season game in Toronto either. Wow, okay. So that's an interesting Well, Well, anyway, it's been great. The uh, the finals, of course, the East, the both conference finals start on Wednesday, and I think this could be the best the best conference the best set of conference finals in the decade. You know, you have three teams, you know, aside, obviously aside from the Warriors, the other three teams are kind of ones that are in very new territory. They're scrapping for glory with the with regards to the Raptors. We've got quite an old core one that is relying on getting to the finals for fear that Kawhi will. Leave. Meanwhile, you've got the mm. Bucks and the Blazers. We're kind of a bit more happy-go-lucky. The Bucks know they have yeah. lots of years with this core. The Blazers are just overachieving, and they're in dreamland at this moment. So yeah, yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a great conference final series. Thanks for previewing it with us, co-host Varel, yeah, temporary co-host Varel. Sorry, I almost slipped with the tongue. <laughs> no, I missed it. I must have missed it. Brilliant. I'll uh, I'll see you after game one. Yep, hope you guys all enjoy it.